Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Well, good morning. Let's take our Bibles in hand, please, and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. Well, I calculate that we are near the three-quarters mark of our verse-by-verse study of Luke. Only 39 more sermons left to go. That's actually true. Uh, The title of today's message is The Parable of Persistent Prayer. Let's read it now. Luke 18, 1. Now, he was telling them the parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart, saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. And for a while he was unwilling, but afterwards he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. He was telling them a parable, Luke says. Now, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly or a spiritual meaning. Most of the Lord Jesus' parables were designed to describe what the kingdom of God is like. At the last quarter of 2019, we talked a lot about the kingdom and its nature, and Jesus used a lot of stories and metaphors to describe what the kingdom is like. He's not doing that here. This particular parable, he's encouraging believers with a story about the discipline of prayer. Specifically, he's encouraging his disciples to always be praying, even when their prayers seem ineffective. In fact, the King James Version renders this verse, men ought always to pray and to faint not. So what does it mean to always be in prayer? There have been those who tried to take this verse very literally. It reminds me of the army private who uh, was on picket duty and uh, he was extremely drowsy and he kept nodding off and uh, found his chin on his chest and uh, he opened his eyes to see the well-polished boots of his sergeant standing in front of him and he quickly said, amen, and looked up. We ought to always be in prayer, the scripture says, but we know that's not to be taken literally. There are other duties of believers other than prayers. We are to make a living for a family. The scripture says we don't take care of a family. We're worse than an unbeliever. We are to study our Bible regularly. In fact, how's your commitment to read through the Bible going two weeks into the year? I pray it's going well. Encourage one another in that endeavor. We're to be serving one another with our spiritual gifts. In fact, the Bible says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. So there are times of rest even that are important. So to to be in a a literal state of prayer all the time certainly is not what he's talking about. So what then does it mean to pray always? Well, I think several things. One, it means to pray in every circumstance of life. The Bible says in all things give thanks. That is, whether we view the circumstance we're in as positive or negative, 
We are to view it as an opportunity to give praise to God or lift up a prayer to God for his help. Whether we're at play or whether we're at work, but we're not to compartmentalize our prayer life in other words. We're always to be in an attitude of prayer. That is our first thought rather than our last straw should be prayer. But Jesus tells us very clearly the meaning of the parable. He says we are to persist in prayer. That is over time, I take it. Not ending our prayers because of discouragement. Now, sometimes the answer to our prayers is a clear no. And I take it at those rare occasions that uh, we're not to continue to pursue what we're looking for. If God says, no, that's not what you need. I think of the apostle Paul who said three times he prayed that this thorn in his flesh would be removed. And each time the Lord said no. And after the third time, Paul says, thy grace is sufficient. I take it that he's no longer going to ask for that thing. But I think in this case, Jesus is speaking primarily of prayers of spiritual progress for ourselves and for others. So, so the theme of this morning's message is similar to that of last Sunday's message from Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Last Sunday, we said the theme was keep running. Don't quit. We're not to the finish line yet. Well, the theme of this week is keep praying. So let's unpack this little parable. Remember, a parable is often a story, and every story, if it's to be effective, needs characters, and this one has two. The first I've called the arrogant. Verse 2, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. That's arrogance personified. He was called a judge. A judge is appointed to make rulings, in this case about civil cases primarily. Some people thought that's why Jesus came here on his mission, is to be a a judge, remember this uh, person came to Jesus and said, judge between me and my brother, some property dispute. And remember what Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? In other words, that's not why Jesus came. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. But God, who is sovereign, is the author of government. There are three primary institutions that the Lord gave us. He gave us marriage, husband and wife. He gave us the church and he gave us human government. Now, I said that this man is arrogant because the scripture says he did not fear God and he did not respect men. Now, if the wording of that sentence were altered just slightly, this man could have been an ideal judge. For example, if this sentence said something like, this judge respected God and did not fear men, he would be ideal. Lord, give us judges like that, amen, who fear God and they're not respecters of men, but unfortunately, judges, because they're human beings and because human beings are sinful, are rarely that way. Well, here's the man was arrogant or prideful. And the scripture says that pride goeth before destruction. The Puritans of a few hundred years ago viewed pride as the chief sin from which all others emanate. In fact, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when man was prohibited from eating of this particular tree, in his pride, he ate. And so sin entered the world. And so this first character is the arrogant. The second character is the abused. This is the widow woman, verse 3. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him. Note that, underline it, put a star beside it. She kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. 
Now this character and others like her are the reason that God instituted government primarily. That is to protect the most vulnerable in society. And that's why we as Christians and the church writ large should endeavor to plead the cause of the weak and the vulnerable and those who don't have a voice. James 1.27, I quoted for you last week. That is the theme of our widow's ministry that uh, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is, is this, to visit the orphans and widows and to keep unstain, uh, oneself unstained by the world. The orphans and the widows representative of all of those who lack a voice or power in society. And that was certainly the case for this woman. Being a woman in that ancient world, she had few legal rights and protections. But beyond that, not only was she a woman, she was a widow woman. Her husband was dead, which meant that likely she had inherited his assets and those assets others wanted. It will not shock you that since time immemorial, evil men have preyed upon widow women. I've seen it in our congregation where unscrupulous businessmen and women will try to prey upon a widow woman and her assets. Apparently that's what was happening here. There's an unspecified grievance. This woman has someone who apparently is taking advantage of her and she's asking for assistance. She's asking this judge to do what he's paid to do and that is to render justice. Her opponent, not described, she's simply asking the judge to do his job. And so here's the plot. She says, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, scripture says, but afterward he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. Now, now get this picture in your mind. Then as now, courts were not in session all the time. They had specific business hours and certain times a day in which uh, individuals are allowed to come and petition the judge and make their case known unto him so that he may render judgment. But uh, many times justice was delayed because the judge would not render a verdict until he got a little of this, until he was bribed, until they greased his palm. And apparently this woman was either unwilling or unable to do those things. And so he ignored her. That is, you did not have a voice until you greased the pump a little bit. Now, she was there, apparently, when he got there for work in the morning. She was there when he left. And maybe she even followed him down the street. Who knows? But she was persistent. And he finally gave in to her wishes, that is, for justice. She wasn't asking him to do anything illegal. She was asking him to do what he was paid to do. He finally agreed to do it. He said, lest she wear me out. In the Greek, that's a boxing term. Unless she bruised my face. Now, I don't think he was physically afraid of this woman. I think that was a metaphor saying that uh, I, I'm not going to have any rest until I give this woman what she wants. He had no concern for justice. Remember, he didn't fear God or respect men. He had no concern for mercy. He didn't render judgment because here's a, a poor widow woman who needs protection that I can offer. His only interest, hear this, was self-interest. His only interest was self-interest, and that is the grounds 
upon which he finally administered justice. That's why he finally gave in. His self-interest was that he needed rest. He wanted relief from this woman's constant interruptions. Now that leads us to our, our third and our final point, and that, that is The Avenger. Now I'm aware there's a movie series right now of that title. In fact, uh, our worship pastor asked me if I was going to be wearing a cape today. Or dressed in a Captain America outfit. I'm not. But that movie series is based upon those who render justice, those who make wrongs right. Look at verse 6. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? An avenger is one that brings about justice. In fact, King James Version says, God will avenge them speedily. Because friends, unlike this judge who is unnamed here in this parable, our God is a righteous judge the one who punishes evildoers and rewards the righteous. 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, we've been talking about quite a bit the last few weeks. The Apostle Paul coming to the end of his life realizes that uh, he's not going to be around when the Lord Jesus comes again, that he's going to die before that. He writes to young pastor Timothy to encourage him. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Now hear this, which the Lord, comma, the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. When the apostle Paul describes God to Timothy, he calls him the righteous judge. That is in juxtaposition against all other unrighteous judges. And that is exactly what the judge in this parable is described as, an unrighteous judge. Remember I said earlier in this message that many, if not most of the parables that the Lord Jesus taught with were comparative in nature. Meaning Jesus would say, this is like that. That is like this. And usually those parables were about the kingdom. And so he would say things like, the kingdom is like a mustard seed. Though it's the smallest of the seeds when it is planted and sprouts up, it grows into a tree large enough for the birds of the field to roost in it. You remember that parable? This is like that. It's a metaphor. This particular parable is the opposite of that. It's not a comparison, it's a contrast. You need to understand this or you'll be totally baffled by this parable. Jesus is not saying God is like the judge in this parable or you are like the widow woman. He's saying you're nothing alike. You have advantages that this woman doesn't have. So, so remember, let's go, let's go back to the beginning. What was our Lord's purpose in telling the story? Well, he told us right away. He told them a parable that at all times men should pray and faint not. And so the question is this, 
How does contrasting this story of an unrighteous judge who did not fear God or respect men and a poor widow woman who had very few, if any, rights in the world, how does that encourage believers then and today to persist in prayer? Well, that leads us to our fourth point, which is the application. The point is that this poor widow ultimately had her request answered, even though, even though she lacked many of the advantages that we Christians have in our prayer lives. And so your correct next question is, what are our advantages in prayer? I, I think there are three primarily, and you can probably think of many others. Number one, the first advantage we have in prayer that this woman did not was the nature of our judge. Would you agree that the nature of our judge is superior to the nature of her judge? Her judge was a man. Not only was he a man, he was a bad man. Not only was he a bad man, he rejoiced in his badness. He said of himself, I do not fear God or respect men. Do you know people like that? Not only are they wicked, they're proud of it. They go around boasting about their perversity. They go around boasting about how sinful they are. Well, that's the kind of man this woman was looking to to judge her case. And so if you just have a piece of paper, you, you might want to write on one side of the ledger God and then write a dividing line down the middle and the other side put this man. Now here's the thing about God and his nature. Just a couple of words that you likely know. He's omnipotent and he's omniscient. His omniscience means that he knows everything at once. Do you think that would be a good character trait of a judge? I often pray for the judges in our community. I'm often called upon to, to go down to different courts and, and pray a prayer of invocation as they start their year or their quarter. And I always pray for their wisdom. James 1.5, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all men freely and upbraideth not. Those men and women need wisdom. Here's why. Because they're people like we are. They're limited in what they can know. If you've ever served on a jury duty, deciding someone's fate, you know what a daunting task that is. Because on one hand, you have a, a very articulate lawyer laying out the case against this person, and when he's done, you're certain they did it. And then when that man's very articulate lawyer gives his defense, you're not so sure. And then you're left to go back with other people who aren't so sure and figure out the truth. And we need wisdom because we're limited. We are not omniscient, are we? We don't know everything at once, but God does. But even if we knew the truth, many times we don't have the power to bring about justice. Now, this man was neither omniscient nor omnipotent, but he did have designated power from God. Scripture says God is the one who sets up kingdoms and governments and judges but we weren't so sure that he would use it appropriately, this limited power that, that he was given. This man was limited. And, and, and here, here's the bigger picture though, picture though, when we think about the nature and the, and the differences in the nature of the two judges. God's nature is that he is just, isn't he? That is, he always does what is right. But it means more than that. It means that he's angry with sin all the time. And here's the primary difference in the way that God judges and that humans judge, even Christians. 
is that humans aren't anything all the time. We are fickle. Our moods change. And if you're a parent, you can relate to this. Sometimes when workday has gone well, things have gone well with the boss, you come in and your, your child does something that he shouldn't do, you think it's cute and funny and you rub him on the head. Maybe a week later, boss has been down your throat, sales figures are down and to the left, you come on, the child does the same thing or something even less offensive and you blow steam off. Why? Because we don't deal with sin the same way all the time. God does. He hates it all the time. And so he's perfectly just and he's perfectly holy. That is, he cannot be influenced by bribes or outside influences. This man, remember, had one interest. What was it? Self-interest. Because he viewed himself as lacking something that he needed or wanted. He wanted money because he felt he lacked it. He wanted her to, to perhaps flatter him because his self-esteem needed to be bolstered. Something to get the process going, get him off the dime. But God's not like that. He is not lacking in anything that we could give, is he? What I say to us all the time, when we come to God, we have to come on his terms, which is what? Empty hands and outturned pockets. We don't have anything he needs. He's God. He's perfect unto himself, unlike this human judge. And so the first thing we see is that the nature of our judge is an advantage to Christians. That when we come to him with our needs, as this woman came to this wicked judge with her needs, we know that he can't be influenced by negative factors because he's perfect, just, holy. And we know that he will render the right verdict because he is omniscient and powerful enough to carry out his verdict. Now, secondly, there's another advantage that Christians have in our prayer life that this woman did not have, and that is our relationship to the judge. Look what uh, the Lord Jesus said. Verse uh, 6, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect? who cry to him day and night. This really is, is the crux of the whole parable. This woman apparently had no pre-existing relationship to the judge. She was as anonymous. She was a nobody as far as he was concerned. She couldn't call upon their personal connections or ties, but you can and I can. Jesus says, if this wicked judge will give this woman what she asked for through her persistence, having no relationship to the judge, Will God, our Father, in other words, not answer the prayers of his chosen ones? That's what the word elect means. Scripture says we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. We're not anonymous to him. Friends, we are the ones that Jesus died for. The scripture says the apple of his eye. We have a unique relationship with our creator. The scripture calls us his children when Jesus was called upon by his disciples to teach them to pray, the very first thing he said was, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. Not our distant deity, not our judge, 
not our creator, our father who is in heaven. And children and fathers have relationships such that we can ask them what we need and expect to get it. Jesus says, which one of you, speaking to the Pharisees, being evil, doesn't know how to give good gifts to your children? How much more so your father gives good gifts to his children? He says, which one of you, if your child asks for a loaf of bread, would give him a rock? Or he asks for a fish, would give him a snake? Of course not. Even earthly fathers are predisposed to meet the needs of their children. How much more our heavenly father? So our relationship to the righteous judge of the universe gives us a unique advantage in our prayer life, doesn't it? That we don't come to him as strangers. We come to him as sons and daughters. But there is is one more advantage, at least one more, that we have in our prayer life that this woman doesn't have. Remember I said that in those days as today, there were certain hours, certain days of the week, certain weeks of the month, certain months of the year, in which court was in session. Uh, I I found out recently, and I should have known this before, that our state legislature here in Texas only meets every other year. And so you better have your things in order when when they're in session because they're not in session long. Well, it was that way of this judge. We don't know what his business hours were, but they were limited. And so this woman likely had to drop every other thing in her life to be there when the door is open for her one chance to say to the judge, give me justice. And she did that apparently day after day until he finally gave her what she wanted. Some years ago, I uh, worked for a missions organization when I was in seminary and I spent the summer in Eastern Europe. And I had been in Russia most of the summer, but we had two weeks in Budapest, Hungary. And so you may know if you travel a lot, when you leave one country on its visa, you have to get a re-entry visa to go back into the country. And to do that, it's a very simple thing. You just go to the consulate in whatever country you're in, and he just has to stamp it and you go on your way. Or at least I thought that was what was going to happen. And so after 10 days in Budapest, I went over to the Russian consulate to get my stamp to get on the plane to go back to Moscow And this man looked at me and he realized something. This guy's an American. I don't like Americans. And so he pointed out to the street. Now you mind you, this was in July. I wasn't even allowed to wait in the waiting room. I waited from nine in the morning to four in the afternoon in the heat of the day. And at four o'clock, which was the time posted on the window when they closed, he put close sign out got his lunch pail, walked right past me on the sidewalk and said, come back in two days because they were only open two days a week. Now, my flight was on Saturday and the last opportunity I was going to have was going to be on Friday to get this stamp or I was going to be stuck. Well, there are worse places to be stuck than Budapest, Hungary, if you've ever been there. It's a beautiful city. But I knew I had things to do. And so I got back there at 9 in the morning on the last day and at 3.30 he came out and said, come up. He took his little stamp out and he stamped my visa and on I went. Now he could have done that two days earlier, but he was an unrighteous judge. This man was like that. He made that woman wait and wait and wait, but you know what? She had more patience than he did. 
she persisted in her demands. And even though he did not fear God or respect men, he finally gave her what she wanted. Friends, the point is not that God's like that. The point is he's not like that. God is gracious and kind, willing and ready to hear the needs of his children. We have an open invitation to come to him 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Jesus has made that way available to us, hasn't he? Through his shed blood. And he invites us to come with boldness into his throne room and make our petitions known unto him. There, there are no hours of operation posted outside heaven's throne room. Scripture says he doesn't slumber, neither does he sleep. He's not like the judges here on earth. Now, you understand, this is a contrast and not a comparison. We have advantages that this woman didn't have. The point is this, this woman ultimately got her request met through simple persistence because this man had self-interest. Well, what's the point? Jesus is saying, you keep praying because you have a judge who loves you and hears you and will not delay justice. But there's one more verse here that we have not addressed yet, and that is verse 8. Look at it. He says, I tell you that he, that is the righteous judge, will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, who's the Son of Man? It's the Lord Jesus. He's talking about his second coming. Remember when he comes to judge the living and the dead. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, I've struggled with the meaning of that text for many years, and then through study this week and prayer, the, the Lord just opened, opened up. So simple when you think about it. He is saying, in context of the previous seven verses, there is no danger that God will fail to be a righteous judge. Would you agree? There, there's no possibility that God won't hold up his end of the, of the prayer life. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. omniscient he loves us. He's merciful, kind. He rejoices, the scripture says, in meeting the needs of his children. But there is a possibility, else Jesus wouldn't have told this parable, that those of us on the other end of the prayer line will hang up. God will be in heaven. He does whatsoever he chooses. He has, gives us an open invitation. Will he find faith when he comes? Or will we quit? Remember I said it's, it's almost identical to the theme of Hebrews 1 through 3. Paul says, keep running, you're in a race, don't stop until you get to the end. He's speaking now of the discipline of prayer. He's saying, don't stop praying until you get an answer. And friends, just as some of us this year have pledged to read through the Bible, many of us have renewed our emphasis on prayer, that we're going to pray for our lost child. We're going to pray that the Lord would give us victory over this habitual sin in our life. And here we are at the second week of January, and unless I miss my guess, some of you have already been discouraged in those two areas. 
you're ready to quit your Bible reading plan and it's been a few days and since you prayed for your lost loved one. And I am here to echo the words of the Lord Jesus, keep praying, keep praying. You don't have to wonder if it's the Lord's will for you to have victory over habitual sin. You don't have to stop praying and say, well, I guess it's not the Lord's will for me to quit sinning. No, it is the Lord's will. But he wants you to keep praying, keep depending, keep being submissive to him. And, and when Jesus comes, whether that's today or a thousand years from now, he will find faith on the earth so long as that his people live in an attitude of submissiveness and dependence upon him. That is what he's saying. When he says men ought always to prayer and, and faint not, that is at in every circumstance of life, in every situation of life, whether at work or rest or leisure, whether at church or at the grocery store, we are in an attitude of submissive prayer, which is, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And so I call upon us today, not just as individuals who've made commitment to pray for our lost loved ones or spiritual progress in our own life. I call us as a congregation today to commit not just to prayer, but to persistent prayer. That is, in every decision, in every committee meeting, in every deacons meeting, in every board meeting, in every choir practice, we begin and end with prayer. And we are prayerful throughout, recognizing that we serve a good, a benevolent, an omniscient, and an omnipotent judge who loves us. Let's pray to him now. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. And Father, this simple little story just has about two characters. But in them, Father, we recognize our own culture. People who are motivated by self-interest who seemingly don't care about people and don't love God. And so, Father, we're called to be different than the world. Scripture says that the, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So Father, I, I pray by our attitude about you and towards you, our neighbors would become interested in the gospel. And Father, I pray that we would have a love and a burden and concern for people. And Father, we would not be motivated by self-interest of what they can do to make our lives more comfortable or to make us more prominent that we'd have a genuine burden for souls, our neighbors, co-workers, classmates, teammates, friends, waitresses that uh, serve us. Father, everyone in, in this far-reaching sphere of influence that we all have, that, that we would pray for them spontaneously at times, but sometimes in, in our regular times we set aside for prayer, that we would always be in an attitude and a state of prayer. That when we have a problem, Lord, our first thought would be to run to you, not our last option. And Father, I pray that would be true of myself. I pray it would be true of every pastor in our church, true of every deacon in our church, every Sunday school teacher and director, but every individual, Lord, that we would truly be a people of prayer and persistent prayer this year. And that whatever good you accomplish in and through us, we'll be very, very careful to give you all the praise, the honor, and glory, and the thanks for. 
in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.